right, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today in person. I was telling the early service that in 18 years, we have never canceled service twice in a row. And the threat was for three, and that just wasn't going to happen, at least according to what the Lord said. So we're glad that you were able to be able to be here today. It's a joy to see you. Isn't it good to just be together? What a blessing it is just to be in each other's company. You know, we, we just kind of get all weird when we're just not together. I don't know if you, about you, but last Sunday I was just like, this is just not right. All day long I was just kind of moping around because I thought, this is just too weird. God's people are supposed to be together. Of course, we wanted to be safe, and we certainly were trying to do that, but... It's just terrible when we're not together. So we're glad you're here today. We're good to see you. Glad you could join us online. We have, we're so blessed to have that privilege. And uh, just uh, thank you for joining with us this morning. All right. Well, I've got several announcements for you. Hamp has already mentioned Happy Valentine's Day. So make sure that you give your loved one or your significant other, yeah, grab their hand, put your arm around them, whisper sweet nothings in their ear whatever that may mean to you. Buy them something nice, something really expensive, big, whatever, sweet. Yeah, there you go, whatever it takes. Also, I uh, want to make sure that you pray for us, pray for the church and whomever the Lord would have for us to have as a children's ministry director. We've uh, put that out there for the last couple weeks, and uh, this is a need that we have as a church. And uh, we're still in the pursuit of looking for that person. And so we just ask you to please pray that God would put on the heart of that person, maybe who that, whoever that is, maybe somebody among us, maybe not, somebody out there uh, as a way to keep our ministry moving in the children's area. Um, some of you who have been joining us now for the last several months may want to know more about Laurel Hill and who we are as a church, and we certainly want to know more about you. And so typically what we've done over the years is a new members class, for lack of better words, or, or uh, recognizing, seeing about who Laurel Hill is. And so Brother Danny, one of our elders, our newest elder, is going to be teaching that class uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Now that, that usually takes a couple Sundays, maybe three uh, Brother Danny's not done this before. I typically do it. Pastor Hamp has done it before. Uh, but we offer them throughout the year to those who may just be interested in knowing more about us. But certainly if you're desiring to become a member with us officially, we discuss what membership is in that class. It's not something you're going to find in the Bible. Thou shalt join this particular church as a member. Uh, but there are lots of biblical evidences that prove that we need to be a member of a church. It's critical, really. It's very, very, very important. And so that's going to be happening on Sundays at 9 a.m. Probably the first class, I'm guessing, Brother Danny, next Sunday, I'm thinking, is what we'll do. If there are any interests. So you can see Brother Danny right here. Raise your hand there, Danny. Everybody knows you. Um, he's going to be leading that for us. Now, I mentioned uh, some weeks ago when it was the Sanctity of Life Sunday that on the back table uh, there's a listing of items at the ministry there, the Thrive Ministry here in Charlottesville, the Pregnancy Center, for lack of better words, if you remember it by that name, could use. And so if you want to help them, uh, again, the list is still there on the back table as you go out. You can take a picture of it or just let us know. We'll make a copy of it for you as we like to support. That is one of our regular monthly supported ministries. And so these are some very... Um, necessary things. As you can imagine, babies kind of like diapers. Moms like babies to have diapers, right? That's always a good thing. And so there's a listing of those things on the back table. And here's something new. Um, as our elders meeting uh, was happening on Tuesday, Pastor Scott brought to our attention that as he's now working with our Spanish family downstairs regularly, 
they have decided that they want to get together on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. downstairs in the fellowship hall for a time of prayer. And so they want to invite everybody to come, whoever would like to do that. And so you can make sure you put that on your calendar and uh, they'll be doing that beginning this Tuesday. And then Missy has asked me to remind the ladies that, uh, and those of you who are not part of this, if you want to come to a ladies' Bible study, they're meeting on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. here upstairs in the fellowship, in the, in, the, in the room right across from my office there. Okay, so you're welcome to join them if you want to come. And men, we're always looking for you to join us by Zoom on our Bible study. We have a great time on that Monday night at 5 o'clock. So I know it's a tough time for a lot of people, but look, you can sit in your living room and just tell the boss you're clocking out and you've got to go to Bible study. You can sit right there at your desk and you can zoom in with us and, and really enjoy that. We have a great, great time studying the Word of the Lord. Okay, so a lot going on, and uh, we're just thankful to be a part of God's family, and I hope that's you today. All right, so let's pray and get our hearts centered so that we can focus on what the Lord would have for us this morning. Lord, we come to you again thanking you for the joy and the privilege of gathering. I think we really don't understand the importance of our gathering and our being together until we're absent from one another. There's just such a special uh, awakening of our hearts as we gather in your name. And so thank you for giving us this privilege this morning. Thank you for hearing our prayers and turning the storm in a different direction. And we certainly don't want it to be bad for anyone else. But we do thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege to have the roads cleared. And and we thank you for the workers and the rescue workers, the police and VDOT uh, for making it possible for us to have a clear path. And even for uh, those, Pastor Hamp and others that have cleared the driveway and the the parking lot, Wayne Gentry, we thank you for uh, their work and just making sure that we have a place to be. And Lord, very serious time as we gather this morning and we're still listening to your sermon from Matthew's Gospel But we pray that you'd help us now to listen with very attentive ears, with a very attentive heart, as we hear you culminate the thoughts that you've been leading up to in this message. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd keep Satan at bay. Don't allow him to interfere with our minds and our hearts, as this has eternal consequences. And so we thank you now for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you please stand with me in honor of the Lord's word as we read verses 13 and 14, a very familiar passage of Matthew's gospel, chapter 7. It'll be on the screen here for you as usual, but listen carefully as the Lord makes several illustrative points here to get his main point across. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many... Who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. All right. Amen. You may be seated. Very, very clear, very sobering, very honest words from the Lord Himself as He's focusing us now at the culmination of this message so that we understand very clearly what needs to happen. And that is, and I've titled the message this morning, A Time to Make a Decision. It's time to make a decision. And I hear the Lord saying that as he's seated there now with the people on the hillside as they've been listening to him in this message that we've been studying for quite a while now and listening to him describe all the things that he's described as the person who is to enter into his kingdom. The Lord has given to us very, very clearly the qualifications, if you will, 
of that person who is the true child of God and the one who is not the child of God. He's making no bones about this. He is teaching about what he or she is in comparison to what he or she is not. If you're a person who likes to know the bottom line, this is what the Lord is telling us. Here's the bottom line. Everything that we need to let go of and everything that must be held on to as a person of God is clarified right here. And if you remember now, building up to this, the Lord has given us many illustrations to help us to see what we need to be as his people. And that is, we need to let go of our pride, which is that selfish, sinful part of us that wants the dominance and the control over life, our own self-sufficiency, our self-righteousness, and that would be anything that causes us to think of ourselves as being righteous or good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven, uh, which would be get rid of all hypocrisy, and that is to be the person that we truly are in our hearts. We don't say we're one thing and live another way. We don't live in one way and, then, and, and do another thing, and that is to be let go of. We are to follow Christ and Christ alone. We are to get rid of all false holiness. There is no such thing, in fact, as a false holiness. There is only holiness. There's no such thing as anything else. And we are to replace all of those negative things with a heart of humility. And that means that we come just in meekness. And that meekness is not a doormat. It's not just being walked on, but it is from our hearts where we would say, Lord, you are everything, I'm nothing where we hunger and thirst, and that's the physical picture there of of eating and drinking righteousness. We long to be righteous people, full of mercy and making peace. We're to be the examples of who Christ is as he has changed our hearts and desire to be holy as he is holy. And so basically the Lord has clarified the mind of the person who truly belongs to him as the one whose heart and soul and, yes, mind is made on him, is fixated on him, is given up to him, and that is the person who makes up his kingdom. And so now, as you're looking at these verses with me this morning, everything to this point has become the standard. It's very clear. This is the standard. This is the person. This is the requirement for the kind of people who make up my family, the Lord would say. He does not want us to be confused about this. And I guess you could think of this sermon as sort of leading you right up to the gate or the door of heaven, if you want to put that in your mind's eye. And once there, Jesus is presenting the choice. Enter or be doomed for eternity. Very clear, very straightforward, nothing confusing about it. That's the reason, that's the point that he's making. And so, as we've said before many times over in other messages, and you've heard me say even in private conversation, Uh, there comes a time where every single soul must have what's called a crisis of faith. And that means not that you're, oh no, and it could be that, but it is that determining time in life where you have decided what you're going to do with Jesus. Everybody has to come to that place. There's a point in everybody's life where they come face to face with the reality of God and who God is and has to make a decision. And that decision is to either fully surrender to him or to go your own way. Or maybe take sort of Jesus or take Jesus with you sort of to be a part of Jesus. But really the Lord is laying it out much clearer than that. There is no sort of with him. It's either all or nothing. 
And that's because God has made that clear throughout the pages of Scripture. There are no half-hearted followers of God. I like to think of it this way. There are no weekend spiritual warriors. As we like to kind of laugh about that idea as we go out on a Saturday afternoon and we, after sitting in the lazy boy chair or the office chair all week and our bodies are not ready for it, we go out on a Saturday and we work hard and plow the ground and shovel and do all the things that we do only to find out Sunday morning there's things in my body that are hurting that I didn't even know I had. And sometimes we treat our spiritual life the same way. I'm going to work hard for a little while and then I find out that's not going to work. And so the Lord says, no, that doesn't work that way. It's not, no one can enter into my kingdom who is a half-hearted follower of me. Nobody, no one soul will be added into the entrance of my kingdom who has not fully surrendered their heart to God. Not one. And denied the sinful pleasures of their sinful flesh. And all the world and the world and its trappings and everything that comes along with it. In fact, Jesus said very clearly in Matthew 10, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And what do you mean by that? What do you mean by cross? Well, he's not just talking about a wooden stake right here. He's talking about the surrender of self. The cross was that place of crucifixion that they would have known in that day, the place for criminals. But Jesus is using that as a figurative way to say, listen, you must come fully abandoned of yourself. And you must follow me that way. In fact, Luke would pick up the same thing in his own writings of the same subject in the same time would say of Jesus' words, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Matthew in chapter 16 would say, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Different instances, different circumstances, but the message is the same. No matter who the crowd is, no matter what the location was, the message was always the same and it is still the same. In Matthew 10, back to that chapter in verse 39, just the one after verse 38 we read a moment ago, Jesus said, he who has found his life will lose it. What does he mean by that? He means he or she who seeks to gain eternal life in some other way by gaining all the things of this life and having the life that they want here and now will lose it. In other words, you're going to die and you will enter into an eternal damnation that you never wanted to go to unless you lose your life for my sake. And it is only then will you find it. It's only then will you find it. Everything must be surrendered to me as Lord of your life. And so the Lord's point really is very simply, you decide. You need to make a decision. I've brought you to the place, if you're sitting there with me, if I'm Jesus, on the side of the mountain, and I've given you all the reasons why I am God and who God's people look like, my people look like, it's time now for you to make a decision. But you must choose wisely because there's only one way to eternal life. There's only one way. And you say, well, but I thought, Pastor Bruce, you've taught us over the years that Scripture teaches that... uh, God has chosen me from the foundation of the world. And that is true. I could give you many scriptures to help you to see that. There's no question about that. There is a listing. In fact, I have on my computer two and a half pages of verses that prove that. But along with his sovereign choosing, 
God is very clear also that he requires his elect to respond to his call. There is the need for the response of the people that he has chosen to respond to him. And that's not new. God has always made that clear. In fact, if you go back to the time of Israel, you see this very clearly. We know from way back in Genesis that God chose the Hebrew people to be his own possession. But yet we also find in Scripture that God says to them, you must also choose to follow me. If you look at Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, very clearly Moses says this as he's given instructions now to those wandering Hebrews after they've been rescued from the hand of Pharaoh after 430 years of bondage. And God is fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham as his people. Moses writes this of God's word, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life. Do you hear the emphasis there on your part, Israel? You decide, but choose life. Why? So that you may live and that your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice. Hold on to that because it's going to come up again. And by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. In other words, God is saying, I have given a covenant promise to the people that I have chosen to be my own possession, but I am saying to them, you must choose also to follow me. It is required of you. Later, in Joshua chapter 24, the same thought would continue on as the people have now changed leadership from Moses to Joshua and have passed over the Jordan River into the new land. We read in verse, 20, uh, verse 13 of chapter 24, I give you a land on which you had not labored, cities which you had not built, and you've lived in them, and you're eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. In other words, all of this was already there. They just simply needed to go over and take it. Now therefore, Joshua says, fear the Lord and serve him, notice, in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And you know that many of them, the whole generation passed away because God said, you didn't believe what I told you. And so they served other gods and even while in Egypt at times. And so God says, put away all of that and serve the Lord. In verse 15, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve you decide you choose whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living but as for me and my house Joshua said here's our decision we're going to serve God it was Joshua's responsibility and he chose God 1 Kings 18.20, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Because Israel had become wayward and they'd started following after pagan influence. And Elijah, in the providence of God, comes to them and says, How long are you going to hesitate? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You decide. Jeremiah 21.8 when the children of Israel were again in captivity, many, many, many years later, Jeremiah says, You shall also say to this people from God himself, 
Thus says the Lord, before I set before you the way of life and the way of death, you decide. And then as we get into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus would say this in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But do you hear the same thing? You come to me. You come to me. You decide. You make a decision. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. You come to me. Jesus stands ready, waiting, open, and says, All who believes in me will never thirst. John chapter 7, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And there are just a few examples of the Lord's message, which is the same in other passages. You decide. And so now back to chapter 7 of Matthew. Jesus is making his appeal to choose him and receive eternal life. Choose me. Or deny me and go to your death. Not physical death alone, but eternal death. And that's because, very clearly, there's only one way to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. There's only one way. There's only one way which begins and ends with me, he would say. In fact, if you look at John 14:6, very clearly Jesus said, I am the way. There it is, I'm the way. What does he mean by that? Well, they were looking for the way to the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Through me. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, Paul would say to the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 4, Peter would say, there is salvation in no one else. There is no, one other, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which men must be saved. Speaking of Jesus. Paul would say to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus there in his letter, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I could give you many other scriptures to say the same thing. So the point, beloved, is is that you and I, we can't make it to the kingdom on our own. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You can't do it by being a good person. You can't do it by being better than somebody else. You can't be more ethical than somebody else. You can't be more moral than somebody else. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it by your achievements or your self-determination of being better than the next guy or your association with anyone or anything else. You can't do it. If there any other way to put this, Jesus would have put it this way. There's only one way to come. Eternal life with God is gained through me, not by anything else. There are no comparisons that can be made, such as better or best. Well, I'm a little better than my neighbor. I'm a little bit better than my husband or my wife or anybody else. There is no religion over another religion that's better. 
There's no one people group over another people group. There is no one ethnicity over another ethnicity. There's no gender over another gender. But about accepting the divine righteousness over human righteousness. It's all about choosing Jesus. It's all about Jesus and following him, meaning Jesus is to be followed fully through obedience to his word. And we'll see that again in just a moment. Through a complete surrender, 100% surrender of this life and of ourself to him and him alone. Of all the fleshly desires that this world pushes on us and that we feel inherently in our lives, they must be removed. And there must be a continual life of repentance. When sin does pop up, and it will, Scripture is clear about that. We see that in our own lives. When it pops up, we must repent, be quick to repent of it. That means we turn away. We were walking with it, and now we turn from it, and we walk the other direction. We, we leave it behind. We must guard our hearts and our minds so that we don't fall back into a life of sin. And, beloved, this is so, so critical. I don't know if you've heard lately, but I mentioned this in the past, but I mentioned this more clearly this morning. If I mentioned the name Ravi Zacharias to you, I don't know if you've heard of that name, but he's been a great theologian over the years, an astounding, an astounding theologian. But just recently, in fact, this week, uh, he died in May um, from some disease, uh, cancer, I think it was, I'm not sure. Um, But just this week, the ministry that he uh, was a part of released a press release after having done an investigation. It's all been made public now. Uh, that there was a private life of his that was not known by even the ministry, but it's come out in graphic detail, and it's just breaking our hearts. But it gives us clear evidence that a person can, and I'm not sitting in judgment, God does that, but I am saying to all of us that we must continually examine our hearts because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves living one life on the outside and another life on the inside and God says that doesn't work it doesn't work you cannot live your life like that and be a part of my kingdom and again I'm thankful that God makes the decision ultimately on that I'm not trying to pass judgment because we're all sinners are we not if it weren't for the grace of God we'd all be on our way to hell We'd have no hope for eternity at all if it weren't for the divine love of God and his mercy over us. But that's the point. The point is God has done so much. You and I are responsible to make our lives circumspect all the time. I said to the early service this morning, and uh, I don't think I said this to you. Forgive me if I did. Um, I think we need to live our lives always thinking about what we're thinking about. Let me say that again. We need to live our lives thinking about what we're always thinking about. You could put it the other way. We must always think about what we're thinking about. And what that means is every moment of every day, you and I are thinking something. And often that thinking goes unchecked. And it leads us down a path that is not godly. And unless we're thinking about what we're thinking about, we'll never catch it. And we can wind up in the same way. 
And so to be holy before God means we recognize Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we're constantly under the the burden, if you want to call it that, of examining our lives and examining our minds and our hearts and everything that's going on with it. Or we can become victims of our own sinful desires. And so Christ is saying, you must follow me. There's no other way to the kingdom. And to illustrate all of that, He gives to us now these verses in verses 13 and 14 and I want to discuss for the remainder of our time here because it really just culminates everything that he's talked about. Notice in verse 13, he brings up two entrances or if you will, two gates. Enter through the narrow gate. This is not a question. I mean, this is not a suggestion. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Now before we go too far, let's just make sure we understand he's not talking about two literal gates. Okay, We're not going to get to heaven and find on the clouds up there two gates. And you pick one. Jesus is giving us a figurative picture here so that we understand in our mind what he's talking about. The gates refer to the gospel The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's him. That's the narrow gate. The wide gate is man's method, man's thoughts, man's actions, man's approach to the kingdom. And so just think of it like that. And people have argued for centuries that those who promote such a claim as a narrow uh, path, such as you're proclaiming this to be, is ridiculous. Some people would say you're insane for doing that, literally going that far. Other people would say, oh, you're a bigot. You just don't want to include other people or you're just unloving, you're uncaring. You don't really have the best interest of other people. You're really unwilling to listen to the concepts and the ideas of other people. You're closed-minded. I don't want to be a part of that, they would say. You're just judgmental or fanatical. That's what you are in whatever kind of description you want to put in place there. But that's not the case. None of that is true. And the reason none of that is true is because we're not looking at the words of a man here. This is the word of God. It is God who is saying this to us. And God is saying, listen, there is a decision you must make and it's either the narrow way or the wide way. You have to decide. And he's saying that because he wants us to choose the right way. He wants us to. He longs for us to choose the right way. When he rode into Jerusalem, you remember just before his crucifixion, he wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, if you would have just let me be your God, I would have gathered you together like a mother hen gathers her baby chicks and I would have protected you and comforted you and kept you warm and peaceful and all the things, but you would not. And he wept big crocodile tears over that people because they would not choose him. Now speaking of the narrow gate, let's define this even more clearly because we need to to hear this. Because of the narrowness of the gate, the Lord is telling us that everybody has to come alone. You can't come with somebody else. You can't come because of somebody else. In other words, if you want to think of it like this, you can't have any baggage. This is going through the metal detector with just you. No other people. 
When I say people, I'm talking about not your parents, not your husband, not your wife, not your children, not your grandparent, not your anybody else. You can't come with your priest or your preacher. You can't come with your counselor. You can't come with your school teacher. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. Jesus is saying the gate is so narrow you must come alone with only one thing, and that is faith in me. And not only can you not come, must you come alone, but you have to come completely bare of anything else. And this is why the picture of the baggage is so clear. As you imagine standing at the airport or the bus terminal or the train station or at your car in your driveway as you're about to leave. And, and many of us, we've done this many, many, many times over. Well, you got your bag, you got, you got this, you got your passport, you got your wallet, you got, you got food, you got snacks, you got everything. Oh, don't forget your cup, don't forget your keys, you got your phone, all that kind of stuff. And the Lord says, listen, you got to get rid of all of that. You can't come through the gate with anything. You can't take anybody. You can't take anything. What does that mean? You can't come with your good works. You can't come with your belief system. Other than this, you can't come with your own achievements. You can't come with any other possessions or self-confidence in yourself, which is redundant, I know, but that's what it means. No control from yourself, no power. You can't come by being a part of the church. You can't come from serving in the church. You can't come with your money. You can't come with anything added to your life other than faith in Christ and who he is and what he has done. Total self-denial. Complete surrender of self. Broken, humble, like the tax collector in Luke 18. God, forgive me, a sinner. Stripped of everything. The only thing that will fit through this narrow gate of the gospel is love for God with heart, mind, and soul. Total dependency on Christ. So if you've ever wanted to enter into eternal life, you cannot continue, now listen, you cannot continue to love the sinful pleasures that distract you from the things of God. I'm not saying we can be perfect. We're not perfect, but that's the point. We must strive, Jesus says, to enter through the narrow gate. And the narrow gate means that all sin must be confessed. Everything brought out into the open of God's light and cast aside, everything rejected, everything left at the gate. It would be like standing there in that picture that we were just talking about after gathering all of your baggage and ready to put it in the car or put it on on the terminal train or whatever it would be and saying, okay, All of this stuff has to go. I can't take anything with me. Because anything else will bring you into a place of idolatry. No matter what it is. Whether it's a thing or a person or a concept. It doesn't matter. It becomes idolatry. A false god. Which is exactly what Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? That's a good question. And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Now Jesus is testing him here. 
But you'll see what the meaning is in just a moment. Then he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, well, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me stop right there. You say, those are the Ten Commandments. That's right. And you're saying he's told to do these things. Well, if you look at the Ten Commandments carefully, you'll understand that what the Lord is really doing through the Ten Commandments is stripping us of everything. Because the only way to fulfill the Ten Commandments is to come selfless. Right? But the young man takes it as something else. Notice what he says in verse 20. He said, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? He's looking at his life and he's saying, all this stuff I've done, it's become baggage to him. And Jesus says, okay, here's what you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions. Strip yourself of all your belongings. Everything must be left at the gate. And give to the poor. Why? Because that's what a broken heart does. It cares for others. And then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the young man heard the statement. He went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to the disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the disciples would look at them and say, that's impossible. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. It is impossible for man to do this. And that's what they said. Look at verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, who can be saved? And Jesus says, finally, you're beginning to understand. You can't do it. You can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God can rescue you. But you must follow him. And so this is truly a very narrow gate. But Jesus says it's the only way. It's the only way. So enter this gate. Now the next illustration is these gates lead to two paths or two roads. And he says likewise one is narrow like the gate that leads to it and the other is wide. And the path is wide. Talk about that for a minute because it's easy. Conversely, unlike the narrow gate, In the narrow path, there are very few to no rules. There are very little restrictions, if any. Very few requirements. And many, many, many gods, all a person really has to do to be on this wide road is to say they're looking for God or something spiritual that would sound like God and even mean it with well intentions and believe that the belief that this path only has one thing in common and that is we're just spiritual and so that's really all that's important as long as I have some spirituality to me and I have some semblance of a faith and and believe in the God of my choosing, even the God of the Bible, then that's good enough. On this wide path, you don't have to be concerned about sin. You just accept it as a part of life. Oh well, we all do it. Don't worry about it. Or you can just dismiss it altogether if you so choose to that. Live life the way you want to because again, after all, everybody sins. There's nobody better than another. So on this path, you basically create your own system of righteousness. Say, this is good for me. Fits me so I feel good about myself and I can enjoy my sin. And I don't really have to give up all that much. Some things, depending on how I'm feeling that day, 
But basically God will accept me as I am because he's a good God. Also on this road, you can tolerate everybody because everybody's got the same kind of thinking and whatever is good in their mind is fine. And so everybody is relative and everything is relative. And so you just accept whatever concept of godliness there is. And it doesn't really matter because there's room for all beliefs on this route, this road. That's why it's wide. Everything goes. Everybody's opinions are accepted. Everything's permissive. Truth is relative. Whatever you believe to be right is okay. As long as I believe and you let me believe what I want to believe. And as long, again, as there is any recognition of God, you just live your life a little better than the next guy. And certainly you'll be able to make it into the kingdom. And the truth is, beloved, people love the wide path because everybody can come. What a great God. I mean, this is great, right? There are little to no constraints. I mean, again, after all, God is love and no God who professes to be loving would ever reject anybody. And who wants a God who's so restrictive anyway? So that's the wide road of many thoughts, many concepts, many beliefs, many philosophies, many ways to God, but not according to God. Not according to God. Isn't that interesting? Man has developed his own idea of God, but yet we have the word of God telling us from himself, no, that's not right. The road to my kingdom, he says, is narrow. It's narrow because it's limited by following him and him alone. Which means also it's going to be a dangerous trip. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be rocky slopes. It's going to be jagged. It's going to be slippery. It's going to be treacherous. Many spots where life is threatened or at least possibly threatened. Full of enemy attack because Satan doesn't want you on this road. He wants you to come over to the wide road where it's a lot better and easier. But on this road, there's great struggle and it's very demanding and that's why it's so difficult. It's difficult because to fight against this life of sin is challenging. It's dreadful. It's a daily, minute-by-minute occurrence in our lives where we have to fight every moment to be what God wants us to be, repenting of sin. And the closer we grow to God and the more holy we become, we find it becoming even more difficult because we see sin so much more clearly. It's a very narrow road. Because of the challenges on the narrow path, there are many who set out. There are a lot of people who are very very zealous for the path and a lot of people who say, that's the God I want. I I get it. I see it. I, I know he's the true God. I believe this. And they set out on the path only to find out a little ways down the path when life begins to be very challenging of following this God that they turn back and they don't want to follow him anymore. Because they couldn't let go of their own idea of what it means to get to heaven. And they hadn't really abandoned themselves and surrendered to what Jesus has been saying. They were unwilling to let go of the baggage that they wanted to bring with them. It wasn't like the Lord hadn't made all this clear, so it wasn't new. This has been reiterated throughout the text of time in the pages of Scripture, but just thinking of the New Testament... We hear what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 25. He says, Now large crowds were going along with him, that's Jesus, 
And Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Now, many people have really gotten confused over that. Are you telling me that I have to literally hate my loved ones, the closest people to me? And Jesus is not saying that. But he is saying this, In comparison to your obedience to me, that would look like hate. You're to follow me. It would be baggage to say, Lord, I'll come after you, but just let me make sure all of this is okay. And the Lord says, no. You must come alone. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's what we read earlier. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost? to see if he's had enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. But you better count the cost because it is a heavy price to pay. But the reward on the other end is eternal. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember the words that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. In other words, if you follow me on this narrow road, it will be very dangerous for you. John 16, 2, they will make outcasts from the synagogue make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. You hear that? The wide road has convinced people on it that if you speak of any other way other than the philosophies of men and how men want to get to heaven, they will kill you, believing they're doing what's right. They're so deceived. Jesus says, that's what's going to happen if you follow me on this narrow road. And didn't I tell you this, he says in verse 4, these things from the beginning? So don't act like it's something new. John 16, 22, therefore you have been, therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In the world you will have tribulation, John 16, 33, but take courage. What? I have overcome the world. I've done it. But it's going to be a treacherous journey. And it's not for the faint of heart. The great deception is the wide road appears to lead to heaven. It looks like that's where it's going. But it doesn't. I mean, all the signs may say, heaven, this way, go this way, here it is, flashing neon sign, LED screens, big, giant televisions, go this way. But the Lord's telling us, no, that's not the way. It looks appealing, it looks beautiful, the scenery is amazing, there's peace, at least in its appearance, 
And it's crowded. Listen, if the crowd is on the road, it's got to be the right way, right? Right? Wrong. Jesus says, don't pay attention to that. There are many who will be on the wide road, but that doesn't make it right. That's the great deception. Moving on, the Lord comes to two other uh, identifications here. Two gates, two paths, and that means they're two destinations. And by the way, both are very real destinations. One is not literal and the other figurative. They're both real. But only one of them has life. And just to be clear in verse 13, so you're not confused by this, the word destruction there doesn't mean annihilation like some people would think. Some people literally believe that when you die, you just cease to exist. You kind of just go out into nothingness. And they'll look to verses like this as proof that that's what's being said, but that's not it. The word literally means loss or total ruin. But in the sense of He's not saying hell is a vanishing into nothingness, which is the way a lot of people make it seem to be, but loss of life as you and I know it, meaning loss of peace, loss of joy, loss of contentment, never to be together in fellowship again with loved ones, never to love loved ones or have them love you. You'll hear people say, oh boy, can't wait to get to hell and we'll have the big party together. And we'll all just rock and roll. The Lord is saying, no, hell is the loss of everything that is beautiful. Everything that is right, everything that is true, everything that is just. And whatever people think life is to be, it is lost in this literal place. Very clearly told to us in Scripture. And the saddest part, again, is people think this is the way. They believe that through self-achievement and inclusivity and everything else that relates to self, it is the way to life. And folks, listen, I have to tell you, people really do think this way. They think that as long as I'm okay down here, that when I get to heaven, I'll just take a little hell with me. Yeah. They say, no, nobody thinks like that. Or that. Some of you country music fans, I'm going to step on your toes here a little bit. There's a song by a guy named Hardy who wrote this song that's pretty famous. It says, Give Heaven Some Hell. And the first time you hear that subject as a Christian, you should go, What? Give Heaven Some Hell? Why would I want to go to an eternal place of bliss and bring hell there? That's because that's what the wide road teaches. Everything is permissible. Can I read you the lyrics? Some of you might be able to sing them. Now, being sensitive to him, it seems like the song is written about a friend who he lost and some others that lost this friend. And that's a tragic thing. But here's the lyrics. Can't believe that you got me in a suit and tie. I had to take a pull so I wouldn't cry. You got a line out of the church door saying goodbye. Church door. Yeah, I believe them when they say you're in a better place. You had a wild side, but you had amazing grace. 
I know you're way up off in the clouds, but if you can still hear me right now, I hope, to, I hope you hit those gold streets on two wheels. I hope your mansion in the sky's got a 10-acre field. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? When some mud and some hubs you lock in, make some thunder, make them wonder how you got in. Make them wonder how you got in. Hide your beer, hide your clear from the man upstairs. Crank it loud, hold it down till I get there. And when I do, I hope you got some new stories to tell. Till then, give heaven some hell. I bet you're looking for a crew like we had, bunch of noise-making boys like that like to live fast, burning rubber in a parking lot. Man, I don't know if the other side's ready or not, but I hope you hit those gold streets on two wheels. I hope your mansion in the sky's got a 10-acre field with some mud and some hubs you can lock in. Make some thunder, make them wonder how you got in. Hide your beer, hide your clear from the man upstairs. Crank it loud, hold it down till I get there. And when I do, I hope you got some new stories to tell. Till then, give heaven some hell. But how about this? I was there when you raised your hand, heads bowed, singing just as I am, walking that aisle, praying that prayer. Man, if it ain't right, but if you, man, it ain't right, but if you gotta be there, I hope you hit those gold streets on two wheels. Hope your mansion in the sky's got a 10-acre field with some mud and some hubs you can lock in. Make some thunder. Make them wonder how you got in. Hide your beer. Hide your clear from the man upstairs. Crank it loud. Hold it down till I get there. And when I do, I hope you got some new stories to tell. Till then, give heaven some hell. Now, do I even need to ask this question? But does something just not sound right about that? That's because it's not right. That's because that's not what heaven is going to be. And that's not what hell is going to be. There ain't going to be a bunch of four-wheel drives as much as I love my big beast truck. There's not going to be a bunch of four-wheel drives. There's not going to be a bunch of people doing all kinds of fun stuff. And there's certainly not going to be any hell in heaven. My point simply is to say with a real-life illustration that this is what's often thought of about how to get to heaven and what heaven's going to be about. But Jesus said just the opposite. The life of hell leads to one place, torment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. The penalty of their sin will be eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There's no going to be any hell raised in heaven with the man upstairs because Paul says to the power of the Spirit that there's a separation that's not going to be together ever again. Jude would say in 5 and 7, verses 5 and 7, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Destroyed them. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds, eternal bonds, under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. God is saying, look, church, 
God has given examples of real life people who are under the bondage of eternal punishment in eternal fire. Revelation 20, verse 11. John writes, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The wide path leads to eternal destruction. It's only the narrow path that leads to the right destination. That place where the Lord says, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'll be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away, Revelation 21. Revelation 22, there'll be no longer any curse, And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve them and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of the lamp of the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever. Now listen, I'm not judging that young man or whomever he is in in his person. I'm just simply saying we need to pray that we don't somehow come up with the idea that we can get to heaven on this so-called wide path. It's not going to happen. Now let's conclude this because Jesus does. He says, you can't have two gates, two paths, two destructions without having two groups of people. So we ask, well, who are these people? Well, it's pretty obvious by now. Certainly the non-Christians, right? Those who do not believe in Jesus. But, and that would be the atheists, the humanists, evil people, murderers, thieves, adulterers, those kind of bad people. But in reality, all sorts of men and women, boys and girls, executives and blue-collar workers, poor people, rich people, hard-working people, athletes, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts, teachers, construction workers, business people, national leaders, local leaders, school teachers, Jews, Muslims, Catholics, Methodists, Episcopalians, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, and even Baptists and even priests and rabbis and imams and, yes, even Baptist preachers will be on the wide road. You say, why is that? It was because every person from every background and every circumstance of life who have thought they were headed to heaven for one reason, because they thought they were good enough and they thought that they could do it on their own or be at least better than the next person and certainly not somebody who would be deserving as such a horrible place as hell as they judge themselves. In other words, they all believe that there are many ways to heaven. Or that God will just let go of the things we don't think we should let go of because he would never send me to hell in the first place. But they're going to be greatly surprised when they get to the door of heaven and they're turned away. Namely because they didn't come stripped of everything solely through Jesus. Full surrender, total abandonment of self-sinful pleasures, surrendered 
only to his righteousness alone and believing only in him. And by the way, did you know it's not just enough to believe? The Bible is clear about that too. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James would say, you believe that God is one, that's good, but you also believe that, but the demons also believe in shudder. In other words, Satan is a far greater believer than you and I are. He is a far greater theologian than any person could ever hope to be. He knows the Bible better than anybody. And God is saying, look, he believes. So it's not about, obe- it's not about believing. This is about obeying. It's about following Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is your will, Lord? Strip yourself of everything and trust only in my Son. You cannot live two lives. Luke 13, 22, he was passing from one city to village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. In other words, just living the day. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. There's the same message. For I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, but, 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 but we ate and we drank in your presence and we taught in your streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves being thrown out. And he was talking to the religious leaders. The very ones who were supposed to know the truth. And so beloved, listen, the sad truth is that many could get to heaven through the narrow way. Because the narrow gate will allow anybody through. Now listen, the narrow gate will allow anybody through as long as you come God's way. Total repentance over your sins, total trust in Jesus, total obedience to him. But Jesus says, because that is so difficult for people, there will be few who find the way. It's a challenging road. So, we come back to the beginning of the message and we hear the same thing. It's time to make a decision. It's time to make a decision. There's only one way. If you want to enter eternal life. And you say, well, Pastor, that's a lot. I mean, you know, you hit me with some stuff today and I just got to think about this and well can I just say to you lovingly no you don't some of you have been thinking about this for years some of you have sat under the teaching of God's word for years you don't need more time to think about it you need to make a decision you need to come to the gate and you need to let go of everything and cling to Jesus He's the only way. 
It's the only way. Listen, folks, I'm as serious as I know how to be because if you don't make this decision the way Jesus says to make it, you will wake up one day in an eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I am simply just telling you the truth according to what the Lord has said. If you try to get into the kingdom plus Jesus minus Jesus plus something minus something other than Jesus alone, you will not make it. You won't. And I know what happens in the human heart. The human heart says, come on, that's your opinion. Okay. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Make your decision and we'll see. That's really what it comes down to, right? We'll see. The Lord has done all the work and you don't know when the end's going to come. Job said that, Job 27, 8, for what is the hope of the godless when he's cut off, when God requires his life? Listen, your heart's going to stop beating one day. It's going to quit. Done far too many funerals to not be able to prove that. And Job also said, man is born of a woman, is short-lived and full of turmoil, like a flower he comes forth and withers. He also flees like the shadow and does not remain. Listen, you know what? You and I know how quickly time passes. That's what Job is saying. You also open your eyes of him and bring him into judgment with yourself, speaking of God. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one, Job says. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, God, and his limits you, God, have set so that he cannot pass. It doesn't matter what you do in this life to make yourself better, more healthy, more fit, whatever. God has determined the day where his, your life will be required. And Jesus is saying straight up, listen, go through the narrow gate. Do it now. Don't look back. In fact, Jesus would say that in Luke chapter 12. He'll say, he who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Don't look back. Beloved, it's time to make a decision. If you're not certain this morning, and I'm talking about 100% certain that there was some kind of time in your life where you can look back and say, I came to the feet of Jesus in my heart and I stripped myself of my own life and I said, Jesus, just take all of me, then you need to do that. You may not understand the words and everything that I've talked about here today, but the one bottom line is, and this is why Jesus can condense my hour message into two verses. There's a master at telling the truth in a couple, min- in a couple words. The road to life eternal is narrow. Take the narrow path. And by the way, that's through me. You can't get there any other way. You won't. You'll be in the devil's hell forever. Forever, 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 and forever. Okay? The decision you make will depend, will make you, will will be the determining factor of where you will end up. That's truth. That's reality. Okay? 
And so I would beg of you this morning, if you're not certain, come see me afterwards. Let's talk about this more. Let's get this right. Uh, Jesus doesn't make this difficult. He says, leave all your baggage. Just open your heart and come to me. And we're going to see another example of that as we take part in communion right now. This is a very holy moment, communion. And this, the reason it's holy is because Jesus is reminding us of these very truths. I gave my body to pay for your life. I shed my blood to pay for your life so that you could come stripped of everything through the narrow gate into my kingdom because of me. That's why he says, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the way. You cannot get there any other way. Okay, so let's bow our heads right now and just pray for a moment and ask God to open our hearts and to think about what we're thinking about. And then we'll take part in the communion. Father, we thank you for this very, very, very holy and very serious, very difficult message, not only to preach, but to hear like we have these examples in in your word of those that did hear and those that turned away. The number of times you preached this kind of message and people who were following with you said, it's just too hard. I got to go another way. And they did. Lord, would it be this morning that in your divine holiness and your sovereign choosing that you would open the heart of those people who have been called by your name to respond to you. Lord, help them to hear and help them to say yes. Lord, may they come like the beggar who just simply says, Lord, I need you. I need you. I come to you. Lord, help them to receive you even now. Nothing weird, nothing mystical, nothing crazy or chaotic. It's just simply opening the heart and saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life and change me. I want to be your servant. I want to follow you as my God and my Lord and my master. Plus nothing, minus nothing. To your name be the glory, Father. Thank you for your work. Thank you for remembering that we were once the same way. Thank you for remembering that we are weak even to this day in our flesh and we stumble and we fail. But yet your mercy and your grace sustains us. Thank you, Lord, that heaven is not dependent on our lives, but on what you've done. And so we trust you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Would you take your little cup there with you? If you got one, hopefully you did. If not, we can get one to you. And on the bottom, you'll see a little piece of plastic. You can pull that off, and there's a little uh, cracker in there. It tastes like styrofoam. But you'll get over it. And here's what Paul wrote to the church. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and we'd given thanks. He broke it and said, listen, this is my body. Now, was this his literal body? No. This is a figurative illustration of his point. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By saying this, he was saying, my body will be given in place of your body. Why? Because the soul that sins must die. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus' righteousness takes our place. So take part in that. Go ahead and eat that little cracker if that's your heart. Examining yourself. Paul says here, if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Verse 31. 
Verse 25 now, Paul says, In the same way, he took the cup after supper, speaking of Jesus again. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My blood, Jesus says, was given for your life. My life for your life. It's the only way. So take part in that juice, if you will, if that's your heart this morning, after examining yourself. And listen, last thought here, verse 26, Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, and for us, we do that once a month or thereabouts, here's what you're doing. You're saying you believe this. You're saying you want to be on the narrow road. You say you want to walk with the Lord. Don't do this flippantly. Don't take light of this. Don't make this something other than what the Lord has said here. Verse 32, and we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. In other words, it could very well be if you live a life of sin knowing that it's wrong and you're continually living that life of sin, God may say, you know what? In order to keep you from further judgment, I'm bringing you home. I'm taking you out to rescue you from further judgment. So examine your hearts, beloved, regularly. All right, let's pray again and then we'll be done. Father, we bless your name. We praise you and we honor you and we glorify you, not because we're something special, but because you are special. And we come to your throne of grace this morning, hearing your word peace between us and the Father by your work. And we acknowledge our sinfulness day after day after day before you, being reminded, as Paul said in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once we accept you as our Lord and Savior, your blood satisfies the wrath of the Father against our sin. And so we thank you, Father, that even though we sin, we have your forgiveness. But Lord, help us to never live in that sin. Paul was very clear as you spoke through him, through the Holy Spirit, that those who practice such things, those who live daily in these things, those who make it a regular part of their life without confession and repentance will not see the eternal kingdom of God. So Lord, as much as we know we sin, we pray that you would help us to be purged every day of the things that keep us from being all that you want us to be. And we lift this up to you and pray all of this in Jesus' name and ask for your mercy and your grace and we give you glory. And all God's people said, amen. Lord's blessings to you all.